place of prayer, and I just want to share a little something with you before I get started here this morning. How um, many know that it's important for us all to talk about what's going on in our lives, uh, the good things and the, the challenging things as well? Uh, one of the things the enemy tries to do is he really tries to, um, you know, any predator endeavors to isolate away from the flock, isolate away from the herd. You know, you never see a predator full on attack a flock. Um, he's always trying to, to separate. He's always trying to remove. He's always trying to, to bring people into a place of isolation. And so one of the things the enemy's always going to try to do is he's going to try to isolate you and make you feel like you're alone. And, uh, and so that's one of the reasons it is important to talk about different things that go on. That way you, you know that you're not alone and you recognize that, you know, the Bible says to think it not strange, this fiery trial, which is to try you. Last night, um, you know, we, we had an awesome time at youth camp. Uh, all kinds of people got saved. Uh, kids got ministered to. I can think of uh, one thing in particular that happened that was really powerful, and I think it's okay for me to share this, but they had brought some boys from a... Um, from a, a boys' home to the camp, and they weren't allowed to actually stay overnight or anything. But they brought them on a Saturday, and uh, they got to like play games with us, and you know just kind of be around us a little bit. And uh, but they were there with us. But then that night, um, they were in the service, and you know initially they were sitting in the back and they were all <laughs> stoic and trying to be hard. I mean, when you've been hurt a lot. You, you, you're not a lot of times you're not really open into opening your heart. You try to present this like tough exterior, and so a couple of these boys that were sitting all the way in the back, they just had this this very stoic face, and and uh, God, you know, began to lay on my heart to share um, just what had happened with my natural father and all of the things that had happened with my natural father, and just share my testimony about that, and uh, just really open up and share a lot of details and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, my natural father rejected me, didn't want to have anything to do with me and all these type of things. And so by the end of the night, the, the, it was one of the most powerful outpourings of the spirit that I've personally ever experienced in my life. Uh, kids were just weeping everywhere. Uh, counselors were weeping. Kids were praying for each other. But those two boys that, that were in the back and who were so stoic, they were, they were just, they were crying uncontrollably. Those two boys got saved that night. And I just went to the back and I scooped them up in my arms and I just put their, their heads in my chest and, and, and just begin to just pray a father's prayer over them. And they weeped, I weeped, and it was just one of the most powerful experiences I've ever experienced in ministry because how I many know oh, God has a lot of fatherless kids out there? And uh, he, he wants to, to love them and to set them free. And one of the most challenging things to overcome is a father wound. Because a lot of times we, we, see our, we see our Heavenly Father the way we see our natural Father until we renew our mind out of it. And God's renewed my mind out of it. I don't see the face of my natural Father or my Heavenly Father anymore. I now know that I have a good Father and He loves me. He wants to be with me. He wants to be a part of my life. But it took years of the Word of God and ministry to actually set me free to get to that place. But just, just an opportunity to minister in those boys' life. And the kid, one of the kids came up to me later. And, you know, he's like this tall. These kids are huge, man. And he's looking down at me. And, and, but, but you know how many, how many, no matter how big they get, they still get that little boy face. And he's looking at me. And he's, 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 he's like, I just want to say, I feel like you were speaking, you know, straight to me. And I'm so thankful. And, and uh, you know, just it was just a powerful, powerful moment of ministry. And, and how many know that, that when, when things are happening, in the kingdom and, and in the realm of the spirit and, and things are happening that are good. How many know darkness gets shaken? And so, um, and so the enemy, you know, he's all, I'm not going to glorify the enemy today, but he always tries to punch back. He always tries to hit back. Of course, you know, we, our church got hit last Sunday uh, with, you know, a lot of folks ended up getting COVID. Thank God it wasn't bad. Everybody's fine. They're on the men. A lot of people that are even watching, they would even be able to be here today because they're physically better. We just ask them to stay home just out of respect for everybody else. And so the end and still darkness tries to punch, right? And so, and I'm saying all this to let you know that if you're going through a battle right now, please understand that you're not alone and that your brothers and sisters are going through a battle as well. So we had all these awesome things happen. It was really powerful. And though yesterday, you know, we had, we had a great day, went to Ethan's soccer game and, you know, it was just a good day. 
Um, and but I was as I was sitting in front of Kroger with my family, my wife wanted to run in and get some Gorilla Glue. We're making like a Lego table for Eli and stuff like that. All of a sudden, man, my soul just got hit with this attack. And and um, how many know that the enemy will try to take you back to looking at things the way you used to look at things and make you? How many know your feelings are not good indicators of reality? Man, I cannot say that enough. I say that all the time. But uh, the enemy, he can't, he has nothing in us as far as our spirit goes. Like, we, once you're born again, you're sealed by the Spirit of God. You're the righteousness of God. The enemy can't touch you, but he tries to attack right here. And all of a sudden, man, just out of left field, out of nowhere, I, I just got hit with this attack. And my emotions were crazy. And how many know that, that when your emotions are crazy, that your perception's off? And you're not seeing clearly. And that's what happened to me. And so I saw it. I realized it. Um, but how I many know just because you know it's an attack, it's still an attack, right? And so that night, you know, we, we went home and I told my wife, I was like, look, I just need some time with the Lord because um, I've been just sucker punched in my heart. And so I went down on the couch and I'm going to try to spend some time in prayer. Because I, I mean, you know, when you get attacked like that, it's time to draw near to the Lord, right? It's like it's, he's your strength. So I'm down here and I'm praying and I'm starting to kind of break through. Well, I fall asleep. Praise God. And um, just being honest. And then I didn't really break through that night. And then I woke up again the next morning and that thing was still trying to be on me. And it was still an attack that was happening. So I, I, but I got up and I went down and I got into a place of prayer. And man, the Lord spoke this word to me. And I just want to share it here with you this morning before we kind of dive into what we have going on. But how I many know that God will speak to your heart and... He'll speak something to you that doesn't make sense to your natural mind. And then you have to go look it up to see what in the world it actually means. And that's, and that's a beautiful thing because then you know it's actually God speaking. Because it didn't come from your natural mind. So I'm laying there and I'm praying. And this is what I hear. American Elm. American Elm. Like what in the world? Sounds like a horse running in a race or something right there, right? So I, so I look it up. And you know, I'm not a person that knows a lot about trees. And Paul Bredberg's watching this. He probably immediately knows everything about what I'm getting ready to say. But I looked up American Elm. And it's a type of tree. And this is what, this is what they had to say about it. It says, it is an the American Elm is an extremely hardy tree that, that can withstand extreme temperatures. And the tree is unaffected by Dutch Elm disease and can live for several hundred years. So what I'm hearing is resilience and like, and, you know, just stay strong, you know, understand that what you're, what you're going through is not going to, not going to last forever. I mean, oh, he that's within us is greater than he that's within the world. And I mean, oh, the enemy cannot maintain an attack. I mean, oh, there's an expiration date for every attack. And so what, what God, and as immediately as I started re reading that, I started realizing God's like, just persist, stay strong. And then it went on to say this, which I thought was really cool. It says a prime example of this species was the Sauble elm, which grew beside the banks of the Sauble River in Ontario, Canada, to a height of 143 feet, 6.3 feet around, and it, and, it, and it fell in 1968, but the tree began and germinated in 1701. So in other words, this tree was like several hundred years old. And the thing that stood out to me is the example that they gave us. I studied it. How many know it was planted by a river? And how many know we are planted by a river? And so, like, regardless of what is going on in this world, how many know that we have the ability to tap into a strength that's greater than our own? So, as I received that word from the Lord, it, like, broke through. And so now I'm not experiencing any of that crazy emotional uh, perception that I was experiencing before, but I mean, oh, that there are times. So I say all that to say this: if you're going through something right now, you're not alone. And if you're watching online and you're going through something, the enemy's trying to isolate you, or the enemy's trying to attack you. I know that one of the things that goes along with 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 um, you know people that are dealing with COVID is the enemy tries to bring a real sense of isolation, tries to almost try to bring in you know depression and all of these types of things. And I just want to say that we are taking a stand against that. And know that that's not God, that that is the enemy. And just because your emotions are crazy does not mean your emotions are true. And take a stand on what, what God has said about you. And how I many know there are times when you have to fly? And I, I share this example all the time. But pilots, they can sight fly on sunny days. When things are beautiful out, they can just look and fly like that. 
But how many know there are times when, when the pilots, they can't sight fly, they have to fly with the instruments. And that means that they fly, they can fly in darkness, they can fly in clouds, they can fly in rain, they can fly in anything because they don't have to see to know what's true. They can look at the instruments and they can navigate according to the instruments. How many know the word of God is your truth? And there are going to be times in your life when you're going to have to fly according to the truth of the word of God, not what you feel, not what you see. Can I get an amen? And I tell you what, man, if you can get a hold of that, then it'll take you through certain emotional storms and challenging times in your life. Because we have to exalt what's true above the facts and above what we feel. Amen? And so I, I just say all that to just to bring a, just a, a sense of encouragement to everybody if you're challenged or you're going through something. Really, really important. And so the next thing I want to talk about here real quick is, you know, how many know there was tremendous flooding in eastern Kentucky? And uh, our, our associate pastor actually lives in eastern Kentucky. And, you know, I reached out to him, Grant Fraley, and I was like, man, what's, you know, talk to me, man, what's going on? And so the water came, I guess he said about eight feet from his house, but, but never came into his house. Thank God he and his family were totally safe and they had no challenges or, or trouble whatsoever. But there were tons of people that lost everything. Uh, people that lost lives, people that you know lost their homes, lost all of those things. And so what I want to do is that I'm actually preaching in Hazard next week. And so, um, um, so I'm going to have an opportunity to actually go down there. And what I want to do is I want to, we as a church, I just want to bless. What I'm going to do is we're just going to just basically take up an offering and we're going to give it to Grant and then let Grant take that and buy supplies and give it to the shelters. And I'm real careful about where I send money when stuff like this happens because there's always people that rise up and just take people's money. But I trust Grant and I know Grant. And if you know Grant, then you trust Grant because he's a good man. And so uh, he said the primary thing that he seems like that, that people are in need of right now is those shelters are just overrun with people because people don't have homes. And so what we want to do is we just want to give money. Uh, we want to give money to those shelters so they can buy supplies and so they can get the things that they need. They need water, they need toilet paper, just the basic necessities of life. So if you're here and you want to give in to that, we'll take up the offering later. Just put a flood help. If you're watching online and you want to give into that, uh, when you give in the notes, just put flood help, and uh, we're going to we're going and then we as a church, we're also going to send finances as well because we want to be a blessing and we want to help out those people. So, and I trust Grant. I know you know I know where he's coming from, and so it's good. Anyway, turn to Proverbs chapter nine, please. And uh, we just want to be a help in the body of Christ. Amen. And we know God didn't send those floods. Can I get an amen? God's not the author of destruction. God's the author of life. But what I want to want to just the message I want to share today um, is I just want to talk about different levels of relationship with God. Um, how many know that relationships can have different levels? Um, I can remember when I first saw Stacy. Uh, we were at the Ichthus concert, um, uh, the, the Ichthus festival there in Wilmore, Kentucky, and uh, she was there with her youth group. And, you know, she's there trying to serve God and, and all this. And I'm just trying to pick up girls, praise God, before Christ. Can I get an amen? And, uh, and I saw her and I thought, man, I want to get to know her, you know. And so I went down and was trying to talk to her and trying to make her laugh and stuff like that. And, uh, and so we kind of started having this relationship. But how many know as, as teenage kids, our level of relationship is about this deep <laughs> initially, right? But then we just kept talking and talking and talking and talking and talking. And then you know, we went on our first day. I think I took her to uh, paddle, pa uh, not paddle boarding, but on those paddle boats that they take out in the lakes in Jacobson Park. And, and we just kept spending time together and spending time together. And so our relationship got deeper. Uh, you know, we, when we were in high school, and we dated off and on through high school. Uh, but then we both made a decision that we, you know, we decided we weren't going to date anymore. We were just going to go to church and we were going to seek God. Uh, we were going to stop having premarital sex and all those type of things. And we were just going to be friends and we were just going to seek after God. And uh, she was in college at that time. And, um, and then we both, you know, I, she had been saved when she was young. But then I got saved and then we started seeking God together. And then how many of our relationship got deeper, right? And we got married and then our relationship, you know, reached a certain level of depth. But we were still in legalism. And how many of you know it's hard to have a relationship when you're in legalism? When you're in legalism and... You know, it's hard to have a deep relationship with God when you're a legalism. You're trying to perform for somebody, trying to try to impress them and try to get them to love you and get them to like you and get them to bless you. I mean, you know, that does not set the stage for a real relationship. It actually sets the stage for performance. 
And so because we had this legalistic relationship with God, we actually had this legalistic relationship with each other. And, you know, you, you wear a mask when you're like that. And you never feel comfortable being yourself. And you're always trying to impress. And you're always trying to, you can never really show. I mean, on legalism, you can't show anybody your weakness. Because someone sees your weakness, it's like blood in the water. And here comes the shark frenzy, right? But how many of God is not scared of your weakness, right? And so then the gospel came in. We, we kind of got returned back to our first love. And we started enjoying the grace of God. And we started learning about, uh, we started taking legalism out of our relationship with God. Well, then, you know what happened? Our, our relationship got deeper. Then over the years, our relationships got deeper and deeper and deeper and better and better and better. And how many know if your relationship with a person can go to new levels, how many know your relationship with God can too? Because if a person, how many know people are, are just these finite beings, but how many know God's infinite? And there, there are places in God that none of us have ever seen before. There are places in God that He wants to bring us into in deeper places of relationship. And so I encourage you to, 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 man, just dive into the Lord and allow that relationship to get deeper. And how many know that the relationship happens through time spent together? It really doesn't happen any other way. Um, and, you know, thank God for Sunday morning in, in church and we get to come together and spend time with God and spend time with each other. But, but how many know if you, just, if you just talk to somebody once a week, you're not going to have that deep of a relationship, right? How many know there, there's a greater place of depth in, in knowing God and spending time with God, uh, how many know God will, he'll talk to you anytime you want to talk while wow, he's ready, you know, and he's also ready to speak as well. And so I just say all these things, um, you know, and be careful not to let the enemy come and bring a sense of condemnation or legalism in there. Don't allow that to happen. How many know God loves all of us the same, no matter how much we're talking to him or not talking to him. So in God's eyes, he's not going to love you more if you spend more time with him and less if you don't. God doesn't have favorites. But how many know you might find out more about how much God loves you if you spend more time with Him, right? And then you also, at the same time, you go into deeper places of relationship with Him. And so um, it's a beautiful thing and it's an awesome thing. And so the first kind of level is, is not knowing God. You know, when I was an atheist, yeah, I was an atheist when I was 19 years old and I was a drug addict, alcoholic, crazy man. And I did not know God at all. And, and all I saw was, was Christianity is just a, a place of, of just more rules. And it just was not attractive to me at all. I thought, man, i got enough rules in my life. I don't need more rules. And so I did not know God at all. And, but, but if I did refer to him, I would refer to him as the man upstairs. There would be some extreme form of distance, right? And then I would say the first level of really knowing the Lord is entering into a place of reverence. Now, and, and I'm going to just talk about this right real quick. Proverbs chapter 9 and verse 10, if you guys have opened your Bibles there. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Everybody said the beginning. And so, like, there's this place, and it is the beginning. And what, what is the fear of the Lord? Well, it's a powerful thing. It's recognizing that there's no one more powerful than God is. There's no one greater than God is. There's no one... Like, God is the most powerful being. So, it, when, and when we're talking about a healthy, you know, fear of the Lord, it's not that I'm scared of God and I'm running from God and I'm scared He's going to hurt me. That's not the healthy fear of the Lord. What this fear of the Lord is, it's a reverence. It means that I esteem God's words above anybody else's word. I have a respect for God. I recognize He's the one that has power. He's the one that has control. He's the one who's, who's God, Right? And the example that I would give in this to help us understand a little bit is when I was in high school, I, like I was a hellion and I was hard to handle and uh, I had a lot of classes that I had two classes my senior year they wouldn't even allow me into. I had to check in with the teacher and sit in the hallway because I'd made the teacher cry so many times. And um, I just did not have any respect for authority whatsoever because of my childhood and the things that I'd been through. I had a chip on my shoulder. But I, there was one teacher, I had this English teacher named Mr. Cash. And like... I always treated him with respect. I reverenced the man. Well, number one, because I knew he actually cared about me. And number two, he just carried himself differently than everybody else. But because I had a reverence for him and a respect for him, I cared what he had to say. And when he asked me to sit down, I sat down. And so there's a place in God, and it's the starting place, where you just have a respect and a reverence, and you realize that he exists. What are you talking about, Jeremiah? Well, how many of the Jews 
And I'm not talking about the Jews, the modern day Jews, Messianic Jews. But how many of the Jews had a reverence for God? They had a respect for God, but they didn't actually know Him in the way that we can know Him, even though they were God's chosen people. What makes you say that, Jeremiah? Well, they couldn't even say His name under that covenant. I mean, they didn't even have the ability to say as they want. Well, because they had a reverence for Him, but they didn't actually... See, you can't really know who God is without Jesus being involved. Jesus is who reveals the heart of the Father. Jesus is the reveals the face of the Father. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And I would by no means disrespect you know, the Jewish nation in any way, shape, form, or fashion. But how many know we have a better covenant than they have? Why? Because now we have an opportunity to have a relationship with God face to face. And so they had a reverence for God. They had an awe of God. They had a fear of God. But that's not where God wanted to ultimately take us to. Like my kids, I don't want my kids to just respect me and reverence me. I want them to know me and to know that I love them and care about them. Right? And so I would say this beginning level of relationship with God is just recognizing that He's real and, and having a reverence for Him. I've done ministry in the streets where people will say, you know, I fear God, man. I fear God. You know? And, and, and so only God can judge me. You know? And, and I fear God, homie. And, you know, and all these types of things. And so they have, they're on the outskirts of relationship with God. How many of you know just reverencing God is not enough? How many of you there's a higher place of knowing who He is and that He loves you and you can come sit in His lap? Can I get an Amen. But this entry level, the beginning of wisdom, is this place of reverence. And so there are people who don't know Him, know Him, know Him, but they honor Him and respect Him as God. But how many of you there is a, a deeper place to go, right? And so um, if you guys will turn to 1 John chapter 4, just talking about different places. So there's a, a place in my life where I had a, a reverence for God. You know, I remember when God first started pursuing me, uh, right about the time I was 19, 20 years old, you know, I was I, I, I was kind of I was freaked out a little bit by his pursuit of me, and and um, I, I a fear of the Lord came into my life. I because I spent most of my life believing that God was fake and there was no such thing as God, and we all evolved from monkeys and truth was relative and all that type of stuff. But slowly that summer, where God really pursued me, a reverence for Him as Creator began to come into my life. But now I'm in a much deeper place of relationship than I was those all those years ago. And one of the things that begins to happen is you actually begin to know God. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, it says, We love Him because He first loved us. And so there's a higher level of relationship with God. You know, Yes, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord and the reverence of the Lord. But man, when you find out that God loves you, it actually gives you the ability to love Him back. And so... It, it switches gears out of this low level of relationship into this higher level of relationship. And a great example I can give for this is we used to run a teen center in downtown Frankfurt years ago. And when we first took, took over that ministry, uh, we, you know, there were, there were kids that were in that ministry. And, and basically, we just had to treat them like they were kindergartners. Wait, come on, Jeremiah. Like, you know, it was like, if you do this, I must do this. You know, and so we, we, if we first took over that ministry, we just spent a lot of time correcting. How many of that's exhausting? Like it's not fun for them and it's not fun for me. Well, what's happening? Well, the people that were ministering before us, they had no relationship with those people. And so because of that, it became this, this environment, this taskmaster legalistic environment of, of punishment and reward. How I many know punishment and reward is a low level of relationship? So when we first came in, they really didn't trust us as leaders. They actually just looked at us as taskmasters. And, and remember when we first came in, like they had, they had this massive stage and this big, huge pulpit. And the kids were like way down on the ground. And the, and the people who were ministering were like way high and lifted up. And I, we, me and my wife, we went in there and we thought, man, we've got to make some changes here. And so we, we ripped that stage out of there. We took the pulpit out of there and we began to sit on the floor with the kids. And slowly, over time, they started to, to believe that we cared about them and that we loved them. And, um, and so we, and it took time because they, they've been used to this heavy, heavy-handed type of ministry. And slowly, they started realizing these people care about us and they love us. And then, so what it started happening was these kids started shifting out of this low level of, 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 of you know, reward and punishment style of relationship into they actually started loving us back. 
and, and, and we started having a relationship with these kids. And so you know what started happening? All the disciplinary problems started to stop. And like we weren't walking around with, with little, you know, like kindergarten teachers with a ruler. Just, you know, we didn't literally do that. But we weren't constantly correcting because a level of love and respect had been established to where now, man, these kids, they trust us and they love us. And when we left that place, man, our heart was in those kids and those kids' hearts was in our heart. So much so that like you, we're about to do a reunion with these with these youth. Like we're in September, we're going to bring all these kids back in. Now they have kids of their own, and they have families of their own, and we've you know maintained relationship and stuff like that because it's been a, a a higher level. I mean, love is a higher level of relationship. This concept of, of fear and punishment and reward it's a very low level. God God has a higher level than that, and uh, God desires a higher level of relationship. Now turn to Second Peter chapter one. And then so, you know, I kind of started out in that place of reverence in the beginning of, um, of the beginning of wisdom and, and that started in that level of relationship. But then I, I started learning and I spent a lot of time learning this in the place that I was at is that God had blessings. God had promises. And that was like a big deal to me because, it, you know, I mean, there's a whole group of the body of Christ that they don't even realize that God is a healer. They don't even realize that God will give you the baptism of the spirit. They don't even realize um, that God has, you know, power gifts and prophetic gifts and that God will actually uh, supply your needs. God will take care of you. And God will protect you. I mean, you know, there's all these promises that are in Scripture and there's a there's a, a portion of the body of Christ that they have like a fear of the Lord, but they don't actually know that God's going to actually do anything in their lives in this world, right? Um, but the truth is, is that God is a rewarder of those that diligently seek Him. Uh, that God is, God has all these promises and all these blessings. And so I probably spent the first 14 years of my Christianity really just learning about the promises of God. And I do think it's very important. It's, it's another level of relationship with the Lord. And we'll take a look at this here. Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 2. It says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of, and of Jesus our Lord, as His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him. Who called us by glory and virtue, by which we have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. Amen. So God has all these promises, and 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 uh, through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that's in the world through lust. Amen. God has promises. God wants to bless you. And the cool thing about God, you know, the new covenant is, is you know uh, is established upon better promises. It's a better covenant, but God takes all the blessing of the old. And all the blessing of the new and brings them together in Jesus. And if you'll have the audacity to believe any of God's promises, he will, he will bring them into your life. No matter how big they are, no matter how small they are, God's going to bring them into your life. And so um, a lot of people get offended at that concept, unfortunately. Um, but, you know, as a, as a dad, I mean, I'm a blesser of my children. My children know that. You know, Ethan, you know, Ethan's hungry or something like that. I'm going to get him some food. Want a pair of shoes? Going to get a pair of shoes. You know, Eli want a toy? Going to give him a toy. You know, and, 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 you know, just all of these things. My children know that it's not just hanging out with dad is good because dad's going to hook you up. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? God, dad's going to be a blesser. It's my joy to bless my children. Like, I enjoy blessing them and they enjoy receiving that. And how many know me as an earthly father? How many know Father God's way better than me? And how many know Father God's pockets are way deeper than my pockets? You know, and, and so God has tons of promises. And I'm talking the obscure promises. You, you find it in the book and you believe it in the good. I mean, old Jabez got a hold of just one thing. Everybody remember the prayer of Jabez? Everybody was all over that for a season. This Old Testament guy was like, hey, bless me. And God was like, okay. <laughs> He's like, increase my borders, you know, increase me. And God was like, okay, God will never refuse somebody trusting in his goodness. I'm going to say that a couple more times. God will never refuse somebody trusting in his goodness. God is, man, he's like, oh, you think I'm that good? Okay. I mean, oh, God will do exceedingly abundantly above all you can ask or think. Like God, God doesn't want to just, he doesn't want to just meet you at that place. He wants to go over and above. But how many know, if you don't believe that God has these promises, you're not going to enjoy these promises. I mean, there's whole groups of the body of Christ that they don't believe that God is a healer. They're not going to enjoy healing. It's okay. It doesn't mean God doesn't love them. It just means that they're not pulling that out of God's pocket that he has. 
There are people that believe that God will provide for them. He is a provider. And so I'm settled in my heart concerning the promises of God. Like I know that I know that I know that I know that God wants to bless his kids. I mean, there's a blessing of renewal of youth. I'm all over that one because I need that one. Because I got all kinds of kids. They're young, you know. So as my days are, so shall my strength be. That's what comes out of my mouth. Well, I'm aligning myself with God's will concerning this. Moses, neither, you know, his natural force was not abated. You know, neither his natural force grow dim. All of these things, like, I want it all. You know, Psalm 103, God's, you know, he renews my youth. My mount up with wings as eagles, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. In my mouth, I'm going to trust in that. How many of Sarah had a, a renewal of youth? Yeah. Abraham had a renewal of youth. I want it. God, if Jesus' blood paid for it, I want it all. Right. And so that's my attitude towards the promises of God. I, I will be a glutton for God's goodness with no apologies. And uh, because none of us have received, no single human being has ever received everything that Jesus paid for. And so, but, and so I, I say all that, but how many know there's actually a deeper place of relationship with God than the fear of the Lord, than enjoying His promises? There's actually a deeper place. Well, let's turn to it in Philippians chapter 1. And what we're going to do is we're going to start to, to take a look now. And, and, I'm, and don't lose any of these. You know, you want to maintain the reverence of God. You want to maintain the promises of God. As you go into deeper levels, you don't let go of the former levels. You want it all. Understanding the love of God. All of these things. But, and the person I really kind of want to take a look at concerning this is Paul. Because, like, Paul fell in love with God. And, like, so much so that, like, he was astonishing some of the things that he said. Because he just began. How I many of there's a place in God of relationship that has nothing to do with his promises? There's just this place of knowing him that's actually sweeter than any of his promises. And we start to see Paul actually talk about some of these things. Philippians chapter 1, verse 19. Paul was going through a challenging time in his life, and uh, he's actually talking about it right here, but he makes this interesting statement that's just amazing. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 19, he says, For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. In other words, he had a challenging time that he knew he was going to be delivered. According to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, with all boldness as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. And he makes a statement, he says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul got to a place where he was excited about dying. Not from a suicidal perspective, not from a despairing of life perspective, but Paul had spent enough time with Jesus where he just got tired of this world. And he just started yearning to just be with Jesus. It's interesting. And but, it, but then he goes on and he says this. He says, but if I live on in the flesh... This will mean more fruit for my labor. So he said he knew he had more work to do. Yet what I shall choose, I cannot tell. He got to this place in his life where he knew he needed to minister to these people. He knew he needed to help them. But he was longing to just be with Jesus face to face. He said, for I'm hard pressed between the two, the decision of leaving or staying, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Paul had grown in this place of relationship with the Lord where Jesus became bigger than anything that was going on in his life. Bigger than the trials, bigger than the persecution, bigger than the successes of ministry, bigger than the highs, bigger than the lows. He just started here. How many know all things were created by him and all things were created for him? How many know that he is the center of everything? And the more you kind of get a hold of that, the, you, a stability comes into your life because you're not as affected by the news and the media. You're not as affected by the highs and the lows. Why? Because you just start looking at Jesus and you start falling in love with Him. And you realize that your life is hidden with Christ in God. And that Jesus is your life. And so like you start seeing the world in a different place. You start seeing the world out of your place of relationship with God. Which brings a strength and a stability into your life. That maybe someone who just has the fear of the Lord has not quite entered into yet. Once again, no condemnation for anybody. Amen. I mean, the greatest thing is that your name would be written in the Lamb's Book of Life. The greatest thing is you just simply be saved. And whether you get to know God in this life or the next life, you're still going to get to know God. But how many know there's a sweetness 
and your relationship with the Lord that will set you free from the cares and the affairs of this life. There's a stability that comes into your life. And if anybody needed it, it was Paul. Paul went through hell. They were always trying to kill him. They were always trying to stone him. And, and, and sometimes when you get a hold of some revelation, I know the people that attack you the most are the other believers. And I know that's painful. Some of the greatest pain I've ever endured wasn't from a heathen who was an unbeliever. It was from someone who didn't understand the things I understood in God. And Paul got wrecked by people that he once walked with. Like they were after him. They were accusing him. And so he went through a lot of pain, but at the same time, and he says it over in the book of Philippians chapter 3, and we're not going to turn there right now, but he said, you know what, I count all that stuff but done. Every single piece of honor, every, every, every pedigree, everything that I trusted in, circumcised the eighth day of the tribe of Benjamin, here's this, I had this, I had this, I had this. Everybody thought I was awesome, I said to the feet of Gamaliel, but all of that I account dumb compared to knowing Jesus. Knowing Jesus bigger than any of those things. And he just didn't say, he just didn't give lip service, like he believed this. And so what I say to all of us is there's a place in God of relationship that makes trials not that big of a deal. He says, you know, he said this, this light affliction, which is but for a moment. That's what Paul had to say about all of his challenges. It's a light affliction, which is but for a moment. This brother got stoned. They killed him. Like he had to be let out of a basket out of the city to keep from dying. Everybody was trying to kill Paul all the time. But he said, it's a lot of affliction. And so if what Paul went through was a lot of affliction, how do you know what we went through is a lot of affliction? Compared to the exceeding <laughs> eternal weight of glory that we have in heaven. Can you get an amen? When you weigh things in the balances of eternity, these simple things don't seem like such a big deal. So he says, to be with Christ, which is far better. He said, nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this thing, I know what I shall remain. Continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith. Paul said, I want to leave, but I'm staying for y'all. And so that's what I'm going to do. But what I'm going to show you is the depth of his, of his relationship with the Lord. And so, you know, let's um, just feel led to go a little bit of a different route here. Let's turn to Philippians chapter 3, please. And I'll just say it quickly. I'm not going to go into the scriptures that I had once had here, but because I'm going to be punctual. But, you know, how many of Moses wanted to know God? Moses wanted to have a relationship with God. Moses was like, show me your glory, show me your glory, show me your glory. And God was like, I can't. He's like, show me my glory, but you can't see my face. And Moses was like, ah. And because I was going to go through all that scripture, but I don't think I'm supposed to. But, but what I want to show you, how many of God says, I'll hide you in the cleft of the rock and I'll walk by. You can see my hinder parts. You can see my blood, but you can't see. It's raining tacos. And because and, how many know that and how many know that Moses represents something? How many of they represents the law? And, and he can also represent Christ in different typologies. But I say all that to say this. How many of you know legalism can't see the face of God? Can't. But how many know that you are called to see Jesus with unveiled face? You are called into a deeper place of relationship. When someone's operating in legalism, they can't really see the nature of God. How many of you know there are people who are operating in legalism and they are out there just spewing out hate? God hates you, and God hates this, and God hates that. Rah! I mean, you know, they may they don't actually know who God is. They have a reverence for God. They think they're serving Him. They have a zeal, but not according to knowledge. In, in, in the book of 1 John, it says that when you know God, you will love. i got the, the ringing in the mic that the other day. We just have to work through it. When you know God, there's a, there's, there, there will be, there will be the fruit of knowing God is love. I mean, you can judge a, 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 you can judge the root by its fruit, right? And when someone actually knows God, there is going to be a love that pours out of them. And I'm not talking about how I many know we, we've seen people move in power gifts. We've seen people have charisma. We've seen people have tremendous Bible knowledge. We've seen all of these things. But I'm telling you right now, if the presence of love is not there, that person doesn't really know who God is. 
How many know that the elder brother and the younger brother both had a father? The elder brother served in the field, but the elder brother didn't know the father's heart. Because the elder brother wanted, did not want his younger brother to be rescued. You want the prodigal son? Everybody on the same page, prodigal son, right? The elder brother served God, but didn't know God. The elder brother served the father, but didn't know him. He said, well, how come you don't, you know, kill the fatty calf for me and my friends, me and mine, I and me and mine, and I and this guy, he doesn't deserve anything. And the father was like, everything I have is yours. Why do you have a problem with me giving what I want to to somebody that I care about? So how many know that legalism can take people down a road of serving God, but not knowing God? And if there isn't the presence of love there, then that person does not know God. Amen? And so... Um, and then, you know, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, you have to turn there. But it says, for it, is, for it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who showed in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. How I many know when you begin to understand the true gospel, when you begin to understand the new covenant, when you begin to just really begin to, to rightly divide the scriptures, how I many know you start to have this face-to-face -face relationship with Jesus? that no one could ever have under legalism. I mean, as we're sitting here in drive, no one, no one has to perform for God. No one has to earn anything from God. You don't have to earn His love. He loves you right now just as much as He will always love you. I mean, you don't have to earn any of these promises either. That's key too, man. All these promises, they're free. You can't buy them. If somebody's, making the, if somebody's putting a price tag on the promises of God, you need to run away from that person. Healing's not for sale. Deliverance isn't for sale. God's blessing isn't for sale. It's not for sale. It's too expensive. It was bought by the, by the blood of Jesus. It's freely given. Amen? And so, knowing the Lord is a doorway that's open to us as we get away from that veil of legalism. That veil would be that veil of condemnation. How many know God's not mad at anybody here this morning? Amen? I love you. God's for you. Yeah, Jeremiah, I did this. I did that. Whatever. No, 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 man. Did what you did? What did what you do? Was what you did greater than the cross? No, it was not greater than the cross. Jesus did a good job on the cross. He paid all of your sin in full two thousand years ago. So now, if you receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, you're now the righteousness of God in Christ, and you have an open doorway to all that God has. Doesn't mean that you're. Behavior isn't important. Of course your behavior is important. Your behavior is how you're going to affect those around you. Your behavior is how you're going to carry yourself. How many know God wants love to come to you and then through you? How many know we're called to love each other, right? If, you, if, you're, loving, if you're loving your neighbor, you're not sleeping with their wife. If you're loving your neighbor, you're not, you're not, you're not stealing stuff from them. I mean, if you're loving the Lord, you're not taking His name in vain. All of these things. And so I'm not saying your behavior isn't important, but your behavior is not qualifies you for God's love. Your behavior is not, not what qualifies you for God's promises. No, they're all for free. By grace, through faith. Amen? But this face-to-face -face relationship was not reserved for legalism or Moses or any of it. It was reserved for those that know Jesus. So anyway, Philippians chapter 3, and I just want to begin to kind of coast down on this last portion here. Talking about relationship with God. Talking about a deeper relationship with God. Philippians chapter 3, and once again, this is what I alluded to earlier when I was talking about Paul. Paul listing his pedigree of all the cool things that he did in the form of verses. You know, I was a, you know, I was a, uh, a, you know, a Jew and born in the tribe of Benjamin, circumcised the eighth day. He starts listing out all of his things. How many know that, and this is real important, how many know none of the things that you have done qualify you for a deeper relationship with God? That's extremely important. Because if you think, for example, I mean, as a pastor, I mean, I don't have more of a right to God than anybody else. I mean, there's no one in this room that has more of a right to Jesus than anybody else. And so, for example, all the wonderful things that I talked about in ministry that just happened at that camp. I mean, if I took all of those experiences and the people who got saved and ministered to, and I, and I brought those before God and said, God, I now deserve more of you. I mean, I would be very, very frustrated. Because I'm trying to cut a side covenant with God apart from the cross. The enemy would try to get somebody to do that. 
See, the enemy can't condemn you away from God and make you feel like you're not worthy and you're not good enough. The enemy will try to get you to trust in your own works and the things that you've done. Well, God, I gave this much, so I deserve this. Well, God, I did this. I, 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 I. Cut the eye down, man. That's what Paul's doing right here. He said, I'm not bringing anything that I've done to the table at all. And that's key. We've got to keep that, that purity. We come to, how many of you know someone, someone could walk in this door right now unsaved, addicted to crack cocaine, and the Lord would save them and heal them in a moment's time? In fact, a lot of times those people receive easier than those of us who have been in it for a while because we've been taught to trust in what we do. And then you see somebody come off the street and they don't have anything to offer, which is great. All they can do, all they need to do is the only thing that matters, believe in Jesus. And then you see that person get saved, get healed, get set free. And then you got someone sitting next to them mad because they've entered into the elder brother zone. They're trying to weigh whether this person deserves it or not. Nobody deserves any of this stuff. No, nobody deserves it. And any concept of deserving it is trying to cut a side covenant with God. No, Jesus deserved God's best, right? Jesus received all that we the, 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 penalty, the sin was condemned in Jesus' body. Death was condemned in Jesus' body. Jesus received all of those things. And so now that you're in Christ, you're the righteousness of God, and you get to receive all that Jesus' righteousness deserves. And that's for everybody in the kingdom of God. Not just for those that are in the front row, second row, third row, etc. There's no concept of pyramid scheme in the kingdom. We do have leaders. We do have gifts. But the purpose of those gifts is to serve other people and to point them to Jesus. So anyway, so Paul's laying out here, hey, can't trust in all these things. Philippians chapter 3, verse 7, he says, But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed I count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ. Now, what I want to show you here is... Is Paul stopped trusting in what Paul did, and he let it go. How many of that all of us have to maintain that place? See, one of the things I've realized is is that as I've grown in grace, I don't really have to be concerned so much anymore about my failures, because when I fail, I know that grace abounds towards me. And when I fail, I know God's still for me and I know God loves me. Now it's taking me time to arrive to the place of realizing that. But now the thing i got to guard against, and I guard against even stronger, I think, than my failures, my victories. Because if I take my victory and I start trusting in that, and I start looking at that, how many know that it's real easy for pride to slip in? And boy, when pride slips in, grace is frustrating. It's this balance. Of really just trying to keep your eyes on Jesus, not trusting in the bad things that you do to think that God's disqualified you, and not trusting in the good things that you do to think that they have somehow qualified you for more of God. Mm -mm. No, straight up, just Jesus. That's all we want is Jesus. And so, and so this is what he says. But he says, "For whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him." Now, here's the key point: not. Having my own righteousness, not my own right standing. I mean, everything he just described were things that would have made him right with God. Circumcised the eighth day of the tribe of Benjamin, a Jew. How many know that circumcision doesn't mean anything anymore? How many know that Jew, Greek doesn't mean anything anymore? I mean, it's all about Jesus. So now we wouldn't necessarily say circumcision or nationality determine God. But how many know some things that we might plug in there is church attendance? Yeah, because I come to church all the time, now God's got to bless me. No, you cannot think of it like that. Or because I give or tithe into the church or because I've witnessed and won souls to Jesus or because I, because I, because I, because I, because I. Anything you try to do to establish your own right standing with God that's the product of your works or what you have done will frustrate grace. And it will cause you to not know Him because you'll be performing for Him rather than actually knowing Him. This little area right here it's a sticky little slope. Now, Jeremiah, are you saying that people shouldn't come to church? No, come to church, man. Have a relationship with God. Don't forsake the assembling yourselves together. Unless you're sick, then stay home. <laughs> but all of these things, like, 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 
These things are good. Relationship with God is good. Giving into a ministry is good. Witnessing to people is good. These things are good, but none of these things are what make you right with God. How many of the thief on the cross couldn't do one single good deed? But he did the only thing that mattered. He believed in Jesus, and that's what saved him. Well, the same thing that saved you is the same thing that's going to provide relationship. When you start understanding that God loves you just the way you are, and He wants to know you just the way you are, you can't do anything to make Him want you more, you can't do anything to make Him want you less, then all of a sudden, this place of boldness starts to arise in your heart and your life where you start to actually know Him. And this is what He's talking about here. He says, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness or my own right standing, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which is from God by faith, and this is the most important thing I'm about to say right now, that I may know Him. 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 You can't know Him without the righteousness of faith. You can't have relationship with God without knowing that you are right with God by believing in Jesus Christ. That is the place of knowing Him. Why? Because in that place, I'm no longer trying to earn right standing with God. I'm not trying to earn God's favor or earn God's love. How many of us easy to fall into that? It's astonishing how easy it is. I love what Martin Luther said. Martin Luther got a hold of this back in the day. The monk Martin Luther in the 1500s. He said, I preach this every day so I don't forget it. Because everything in this world operates in meritocracy. Everything in this world operates in, in, in earning it and deserving it. And so it's real easy to, 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 for your mind to slip out of an unmerited favor. It's real easy for your mind to slip out of a concept of grace and go back into works. The only way you're going to stay stable in this is to keep hearing it, hearing it, hearing it, hearing it, hearing it. Faith comes by hearing it, hear by the word of Christ. You need to be, that's what the gospel does. The gospel reminds you that you're right with God because of Jesus, not because of what you've done. And you've got to be reminded. That's why Scripture says, awake to righteousness. Why? You can fall asleep. You can fall asleep to who you are in Christ and you can enter into condemnation. You can fall asleep to who you are in Christ and you can enter into pride and works. No, it's actually not about us at all. It's all about Him. And, and, and so, this statement that Paul makes that I may know Him. How many know Paul did not know who Jesus was under legalism? In fact, he was so blinded to the identity of God, he was, as a believer in God, attacking what God was doing in the earth. Until finally, he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. And Jesus said, why are you persecuting me? Why are you kicking against the pricks? And he said, who are you, Lord? He said, I'm Jesus, and you've been persecuted. And so, how many of under legalism, how many of Paul was zealous? I mean, Paul was passionate. Paul was probably more zealous than a lot of the early church initially. But he was zealous in the wrong direction. He was actually attacking what God was doing. But when Paul came to this reality, Paul, your circumcision, it doesn't mean anything. Your Jewish lineage, it doesn't mean anything. The fact that you're taught by Gamaliel, it doesn't mean anything. Let's plug ourselves in there. Everything you've done for God doesn't make God love you more. Every mistake that you've made doesn't make God love you less. Now, every, most of our relationships, we have conditional relationships. Most of the ways we've been taught is when I do good, people like me. When I do bad, people don't like me. But that's not how God operates. And so in order for us to know Him, we've got to keep all that, we've got to keep that out of our mind. We've got to keep it brushed aside. And really, it's the washing of the water of the Word. You've got to keep hearing this message how I many you know just because you got the bugs off your windshield one time doesn't mean your windshield is going to stay eternally clean? you got to keep getting the bugs off your windshield. Well, in the day and age that we're living in, how I many you know the enemy's always trying to bring bugs on the windshield of your perception so you don't see clearly? All of a sudden you start thinking, God, if you think God's mad at you, you don't see clearly. The enemy's trying to convince you of that. If you think God's disappointed in you, you don't see clearly. Time to wipe the bugs away with the washing of the water of the Word. Amen? And the thing about it is, you don't arrive to this thing where you click into place and you never have to fight this battle again. That's an important thing to understand because the enemy will condemn you for feeling condemned. 
you should know better. You've been listening to this for a long time. What's wrong with you? How I many doesn't play fair? He kicks you when you're down. You're like, well, I've, I've known this forever. You know, I've written books about that. I've written plenty of books about this. I've preached this for years and years and years. I still fight this battle. Why? It, it, this is the fight of faith. The fight of faith is not believing for something to happen, like an occurrence that's in the earth. The fight of faith is believing that the cross was a success and that we're new creations in Christ Jesus, that we're the righteousness of God and that God loves us, that all things have passed away. And so as we hear the gospel, it's the power of God unto us enjoying all the goodness of God and the promises of God, but ultimately just knowing Him. Because here's the thing, what man-made religion does is it teaches you to be self-focused. How many know if we're going to have a conversation after church and I'm going to come talk to you? <laughs> I was going to say something, I'm not going to say that. Anyway, sorry. But let's say I have somebody that cuts my hair and they stare at themselves the whole time they cut my hair and it's awkward. So anyway. But if I'm, if I'm having a conversation with you and I'm just staring at me the whole time, I'm just looking at me. I mean, it's going to be real difficult for you to commute for us to talk and to coin it in and have fellowship, right? Well, when we don't understand that we're right with God by faith in Jesus, when we come to God, we're not looking at God at all. We're just looking at ourselves. Well, last week I got mad at the kids, and last week I raised my voice, and last week I ate all the carrot cake. Amen. Those of you that read the Bible study, y'all know what I'm talking about. I did eat the rest of that carrot cake. I ate all of it. That one piece that didn't go to her dad because he left town before uh, before I could do it. So I ate all the carrot cake and I ate some ice cream too. Hallelujah. Jesus still loves me. Praise God. Amen. Amen. You make mistakes. We were at a Bible study at our place last week and we had carrot cake. And I told everybody, I said, can y'all take that carrot cake home? And they were like, no, we're not taking it home. And I said, if it stays here, I'm going to eat all of it. There's power in your words, and bless God, I, I ate all of <laughs> Anyway, move right along. But, like, this thing is not about us. Can I get an amen? What if Mary Magdalene was like, oh, I'm a prostitute, and I've always been a prostitute, and I, and me, and mine, and oh, and I. I mean, she, did, she was a prostitute, but she didn't stay there. She got caught up in Jesus' eyes. She got caught up in where the Lord saw her. How I many of you know Peter, after he denied the Lord three times? You know, and Jesus came to him. How, what's, what's Jesus trying to restore Peter from? Jesus is trying to get Peter to stop looking at Peter. Because as long as Peter is, as long as he is his primary focus, how I many of you know he wouldn't be ready for ministry when the Spirit of God fell in the book of Acts? Because he would have just been like, well, guys, I want y'all to know I haven't been a good leader. I deny How I many it's not time for Peter to talk about Peter? Because what's going on in Peter's life is real small compared to what God's going to do in the book of Acts. Can't get an amen? How I many of that's like that for us all the time? Well, what happens is we, we get, the enemy makes us too focused on ourselves. We've got to get our eyes off of us. The good that we do and the bad that we do. Let's just get our eyes on Jesus. Let's see the Lord. So that we may know him. And so like there's this place of deeper relationship. And, and we don't have time to turn there. But you know the new covenant. It says in you know, Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 10. We're not going to turn there. But it says that all may know me from the least to the greatest. How do we know it? Because their sins and lawless deeds I will remember no more. You don't come to the Lord sin conscious. You come to the Lord Jesus conscious. Don't come to the Lord with your own filthy rags of righteousness. No, drop those things. You've got the robe of righteousness. You have the nature of righteousness. You're now one with Christ. You don't have time for that anymore. That Those things are over. Old things have passed away. Paul could stand up and make the statement, I've wronged no man. No, Paul, you wronged all kinds of people. Maybe the person I used to be wronged all kinds of people, but the person I am in Christ has not wronged all kinds of people. Can I get an amen? Paul's mind wasn't filled with the fact that Stephen was martyred and killed. How many know Paul was the consenting Pharisee when Stephen got martyred and killed? Paul's mind wasn't on those things. Paul's mind was on Jesus. Our mind on Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Let it be on Jesus. The more you can keep your eyes on Jesus, the less you're going to end up in making mistakes. And the less you're going to trust in your own good deeds. And I give this analogy all the time, but how many of us, we drove to church today. We didn't drive to church staring at the ditch, trying to stay out of the ditch. 
If we drove to church staring at the ditch, trying to stay out of the ditch, how many of you going to end up in the ditch? Because what you focus on is where you're going to be. No, we didn't do that. We looked straight ahead. We looked forward. How do we stay out of the ditch? We put our eyes on something other than the ditch. And that's when legalism, all they do is preach sin, 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 sin. Everybody's sinning because that's all they can think about. I'm not going to stand up here and preach sin. Why? Because I'm not going to put your attention on it. Because we'll put your attention on this, what you're going to be focused on. Think of a pink cat. No, no, no. That's the wrong way to say that. Don't think of a pink cat. Don't think of a pink cat. Don't you do it. Don't think of a pink cat. I mean, we're all thinking of a pink cat now. Why? Because I brought your attention and your focus and told you what you're not supposed to do. Yeah, pink Panther, that's how I'm saying it too. But if I just preach Jesus, then your attention and your focus is on Jesus. Can you get an amen? This is how this thing works. It doesn't work any other way. If someone's going to stand up behind the pulpit and just preach law, 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 sin, 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 everybody's sinning. Why? Because the strength of sin is the law. If I tell you not to do something, you're going to want to do it. How I many of you really realize that when you have kids? Like with Lily, man. God love her. I'm seeing some of my personality come out of my daughter. And it's like, you know, we, we you know, don't tell her not to go up the stairs. <laughs> Because she's going to be like, whoa. She's going to be like, where are the stairs You know what I'm saying? No, no. My wife is so good at this. She just get them focused on something else. Oh, look at this little puppy. Look at this little stuffed animal. Oh, okay, cool. Stairs aren't even a thought. I mean, it's the same thing in the kingdom. If we make Jesus big, sin loses its power. If we make Jesus our focus, failure loses its power. And then we start to enter into this place to where we're actually going to know Him. Can you name anybody want a deeper relationship with God? Man, it comes out of the fact that you know that you're right with God. And listen, don't compare your relationship with God with somebody else. Don't do it. Just because this person spending all this time in prayer and all this time in the Word doesn't mean that they know God more than you do. It might mean they have more time to do it than you do. Real God meets everybody in different places. One of the things I love that somebody said one time, man, it just really blessed me. If you look, when God meets women in the Bible, they're always doing something. Like, he, you know, he, he meets them. They're why? Because they're busy. But he still meets them, even in the midst of their activity. So don't think just because you're not sitting down with your Bible open and you're praying in the Holy Ghost for three hours and you're, you know, listening to all these things. Don't think that that person knows God more than you on your job just talking to God internally as you're doing the things that you're doing. It's very important to understand it because if you compare your relationship with God with somebody else, then you're going to be upset. I mean, when they gathered manna, that everyone gathered as much as they needed. Some people needed tons of manna. Some people just needed a little bit. You know, when I think about me and my wife and the way that our, our you know, our, our relationship was with, with God operate. Like, I'm in full-time ministry. I'm doing all different types of ministry. This is what I do. I have time to pray. I have time to read the Word. I have time for those things. My wife is a mom. Like, that's like the, in my opinion, it's the hardest job on earth is being a mom. Because there's no break in the action. And so, like, she may not have three hours to pray in the Spirit like I have. She may not have, why? Because she's busy doing other things. It doesn't mean that I have a closer relationship with God than her. It just means she has a different type of relationship with God than I do. Can I get an amen? We must not compare ourselves with other people. We used to go into a ministry where we all compared ourselves to the senior pastor. Well, duh, he's going to have more time to spend with God. This is what he does. And then everyone else who's working 50, 60 hours a week feel like they're some kind of horrible Christian because they're not doing what he's doing. Well, duh, he gets paid to do this. Amen. Don't get me started on that. But like, don't compare yourself to somebody else. How many of God will meet you? You might have 10 minutes of time in the car to talk to the Lord and God will make that time sweet and fill you just as much as the person that had two hours. How many know that quality is more important than quantity? So don't compare yourself to somebody else. And, and this is real important too. Don't condemn somebody else because they're not you. Leave people alone. Let them know God. That's why it says in the New Covenant that all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. And no one's going to run around saying, Oh the Lord, oh the Lord, oh the Lord, you need to know the Lord, you know the Lord. If you're trying to make somebody have a relationship with God, I promise you, you're messing things up. You're jacking things up. Don't do that to people. You ever have kids that be like, Go play with so and so. Go play with so and so. Go on. I mean, like the last thing on earth that kid wants to do is play with so and so. Because you're trying to make him play with so and so. 
I mean, you can't make somebody have a relationship. You can only create an environment where a relationship can happen. And if you try to lord over someone else's relationship with God, you're going to make it death to them. I mean, legalism is death. Don't make relationship with God death to somebody. Chill out. Pray. Trust God. Let God lead them. Amen. Praise God. Uh, John 17, close. Last verse. John 17, verse 3. It says, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This is eternal life. God said, you know what eternal life is? <clears throat> Knowing me. Knowing me is eternal life. Where are you going to get your life from? Relationship with the Lord. That's where life comes from. Eternal life. Perpetual life. Zoe life. Comes from, from this. And as your relationship with God grows and you go into a deeper relationship with the Lord, I mean, you stop caring so much about what people say about you on Facebook. Yeah. I mean, you stop caring so much about the craziness that's going on in this world. Not in the sense that you don't have compassion, but in the sense that you're not afraid. Because, man, just like Paul, when your relationship with God gets bigger than everything going on around you, everything starts to lose its weight and its power over its ability to rock your heart. And so everybody in here, all of us, we're invited into deeper relationships with the Lord, man. Amen. And, uh, you know, there's that place of reverence. There's that place of knowing the promises. And then there's that place of just knowing him. And I do believe that's the sweetest place. Now, don't give up the promises in knowing him. Don't give up the reverence in knowing him. Enjoy all of it. Amen. All right, cool. That's what I got for you today. Lord, I just thank you and praise you that... You lead all of us into greater places of relationship with you, Lord. No matter what place that people were in, when, as, I, as I talked here this morning, I thank you, Father, that you just invite him into a deeper place, Lord. Invite him into a place to know you more. And Lord, I thank you that everyone that's here and everyone that's watching online at home or will watch in the future or listen to the podcast in the future, I just thank you that you help all of us to keep our eyes off of ourselves do not trust in our own ability to make ourselves right with you or keep ourselves right with you, but you help us to keep our attention and our focus and our eyes on Jesus and only Jesus, Lord. And I thank you for that, Father. Help us all to know you in a deeper place, Lord. And help this relationship that we have with you to become the deepest relationship in our life. Deeper than our relationship with our mother and our father. Deeper than our relationship with our spouse. Deeper than our relationship with our kids. Let this be the deepest relationship we have. Not because we're taking away from those relationships, but because we're adding to those relationships. Lord, you're the deepest well of love that any of us have ever known. We want, to, we want to dive into your well, unconditional love. We want to drink in your everlasting life and let that life flow into the relationships we have with our parents, our grandparents, with our spouse, with our children, our co-workers, everybody on this planet. Lord, I thank you. Just like David said, I have set the Lord before my face. He is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. I thank you that you are the deepest and most intimate relationship that any of us have. And Lord, if any of us are struggling with intimacy, if any of us are struggling with knowing you, whether it's too much attention on ourselves or thinking that we're unclean or whatever, Lord, I thank you that today, by the power of your word, that those barriers are removed out of our hearts, out of our minds, that we can freely see that we are invited to the table, that we belong in your house and on your lap because you are a good father and you're our father. And Lord, we just receive greater places of relationship with you, Father. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.